If you have a copy of God's Word, I invite you to turn with me to the book of Genesis. We're going to look this morning in chapter 22, and I'm going to read the first 14 verses of this chapter. Uh, I want to do a couple things before I read. The first is just give you a little update on where I am. So medically speaking, so this was a decision week for Dave and the Osborne family. And so uh, after getting four opinions from different doctors, uh, I am going to take chemo. Um, so I'm going to actually start that tomorrow, and I'm going to be doing two different drugs. So one drug I'm going to do every three weeks, and the second drug I'm going to be doing every other week. So I'll, for three months, I'll do one drug four times, and I'll do the other one six. And so things have been, uh, I don't know, it's kind of weird being on this side of all the medical stuff because it's like things can move super quickly, and then there's other times where things just seem to take forever. And so um, I'm at the point now where I, I need to, you know, make a decision and go. And so that's what I'm doing. So if you want to pray for me this week, I sure would appreciate it. Um, I don't look forward to what I've got to do tomorrow, um, but, uh, but I want to start as soon as I can to be done as soon as I can. I'm that kind of person. So I want to get it over with. So um, if you want to pray for me tomorrow, uh, I got all my blood work done Friday, so I just need to show up to the cancer bay on, uh, on tomorrow and, and get going. That'll start around 1145, and that could be anywhere from uh, two to six hours. We'll see how I tolerate the, the medicine tomorrow. So if you want to pray for any of that, I would love it. Um, I'm going to be sitting down for a while. I'll be praying for you while I'm there. Uh, I'm also going to watch some things that I have in my queue, and so I'll try to keep myself preoccupied. Um, but uh, if you would pray, that, that would be wonderful, and I appreciate your prayers already. But that's, that's where I am medically. So uh, I'm not sure, again, how I'm going to react, so I may, I may be here next week. I may not. I just don't know how, how sick I'm going to be or, or if I'm going to feel great. Who knows? But, uh, but I'm in God's hands, and that's a good thing. And so um, there you have it. You can ask me more questions afterwards if you like, and I'll be happy to tell you what I know, what I'm learning about my medical stuff. The second thing is uh, this is our last sermon through the life of Abraham. And so I wanted to ask you if you remember our little three-phrase mantra for going through the life of Abraham. Does anybody remember this? Can anybody remember one of the phrases? Letting go, leaving behind, traveling light. So if you're here this morning and you're exploring Christianity and you want to know what in the world does it mean to believe those are three things that you can think about and meditate on. Believing in God through Jesus means that you have to let go. You got to leave things behind. You got to travel light. And this whole story of Abraham is showing that to us. Which means, if you're here and you're a believer, this is what it looks like for you to put your faith in gear and live out your faith. That means I bet there are some things in your life because there are things in my life that I gotta let go of. There are things in my life I gotta leave behind. And I certainly am learning I gotta travel light. My days are numbered. All of our days are numbered. With that in mind, listen to this from Genesis 22, one through 14. This is God's word. This means this really happened in history. This is real stuff. God and Abraham, real people on earth, this happened. This is amazing. Hope this makes you feel as uncomfortable as it does me when I read it. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here, am I, here I am. 
He said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and rose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they went, both of them, together. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father. And he said, here I am, my son. He said, behold, the fire and the wood, but where's the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them, together. When they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing that you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of the place, the Lord will provide, as it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. Would you pray with me? Lord in heaven, we thank you for giving us your word. We read stories like this and it's fairly shocking. Well, Lord, we need your help. We need your help to understand this story. We need your help to understand what you're doing in it. We need help because we can see ourselves in this story and I guess we're learning that we should anyway. So Lord, you say that your word is truth, that it equips us for everything that's good you say that your word challenges and rebukes and corrects, so Lord, we're your people, we're here. Encourage us, challenge us, rebuke us, whatever, whatever you need to do, Lord, do it. Make us more aware of who we are. Make us more aware of who you are. And as always, Holy Spirit, we ask that you would make Jesus and the good news of the gospel more irresistible to us that we might crave good news and, and want to live by that good news, the good news of Jesus, in whose name we pray, amen. Abraham's life spans about 175 years. From chapter 12 through 25 of Genesis, we have about 15-ish stories about the life of Abraham. And this is the last one. This is the final episode of what we're gonna look at in the life of Abraham this time. Then we'll pick back up and transition back into the book of Romans where we were the first part of the year. 
And we're going to follow the same pattern we've been following all along through this life of Abraham. We're going to recap the story, and then we're going to get into some takeaways. So that's our, those are our two stops today. I'm going to recap the story and then give you some takeaways. I got three of them, three takeaways for you today. In doing that, there are, all, there are other places in Scripture that talk about this particular story. I didn't want to read all of them to you today, but if you take notes and you like to write things down and think about things after this little 30-minute, 35-minute thing we're going to do, if you're the kind of person that likes to think back through worship during the week, which I hope you are, or becoming more and more that way, you might want to write these down. I would encourage you to look at Hebrews 11, and another place is John chapter 8. And before we get into the story, I actually want to say a verse from John chapter 8, verse 56. You can write that down, John 8, 56. And I want you to repeat this back to me. Are you ready? Jesus is speaking. Are you ready to say back what I'm, are y'all awake? Did I lose y'all ready? Have I already put you to sleep? Okay, we're, we're good? All right, all right. Abraham rejoiced to see my day. He saw it. And he was glad. Abraham rejoiced to see my day. He saw it, and he was glad. Now, when you read back through John 8, you might wonder, as you see all the context, what in the world did Jesus mean by that? Well, maybe we'll find out. Maybe we'll find out as we look at Genesis 22. So if nothing else sticks with you today, at least think about those words of Jesus. And then when you read Hebrews 11, and it talks about Abraham a little bit, Maybe this will even make more sense. So let's get into the story. Here's the story, as succinctly as I can put it. God calls Abraham and says, Abraham, I need you to go. Sounds familiar, right? He said it to him over and over, including all the way back in chapter 12, where he said, Abraham, leave your people, leave your land, go. Where am I going, Lord? I don't know. I'll tell you, just go. God says, Abraham, I want you to go to this place called Moriah. I won't tell you exactly where, but as you go along, you'll know, because I'll show up and tell you. So, Abraham begins to settle out. And oh, by the way, this journey that Abraham was on this time, wow. Think about what God requested as Abraham is heading out on this journey. Abraham, not only do I want you to go, but I want you to go this place, and I'll, show you, I'll get you the specific coordinates later, but I want you to take your son, your only son, the one that you love, Isaac, and I want you to offer him as a burnt sacrifice, a burnt offering. I want you to offer up your son. Abraham had been waiting on this son for 25 years, maybe more. And now he has the son, and God says, Abraham, take him and then offer him as an offering to me. Abraham prepares for his journey. He cuts the wood to get ready for the sacrifice. He knows he needs help, so he enlists two men to go with him. They saddle up the donkey. They head out on a three-day journey. Then they get to the mount. And they begin to go up the mound. And he tells, if you look in verse 5, this is beautiful. He tells the men, hey, y'all stay here. Isaac and I are going up to worship. 
And then if you allow me to quickly paraphrase with the same thing, we'll, we're coming back. We're going to worship and then we'll both be back. We will come to you again. So then the story gets incredibly dramatic. Think about the exchange in verse 7 and verse 8. They're on this journey and Isaac turns to his dad and says, Dad, we're going up the mountain to worship. We're going to offer a sacrifice. Uh, we got the wood. I uh, see the knife. Dad, where's the sacrifice? Can you imagine if you were Abraham? Can you imagine that moment? Can you imagine if you were Isaac thinking about this? Where's, where, where's the animal, Dad? Abraham turns to his son and says, God will provide. You know internally Abraham was all over the place, don't you think? So they get up to the mount. Isaac is bound, laid down. Abraham goes to pick up the knife. And all of a sudden, the angel of the Lord says, Abraham, stop. Don't lay a hand on your son. Don't do anything to Isaac. Don't do anything. Stop. I know that you love me. And it was in that moment that Abraham looked behind Isaac. And what does he see but a ram caught in the thicket? Abraham takes the ram and then, as the text says, offers him up as the burnt offering to God. That's the story. It's pretty intense, isn't it? Kind of like to see that in a movie in some way. Pretty crazy. Well, what are the takeaways? I got three of them for you. Here's the first one. And I ask this with all that I am. Will you let the Bible mess with you? I'm not kidding. If you read the Bible and you just read the, the stories in it and you're just like, yep, God said it, let's move on. Whoop, keep going, come on. Let the Bible mess with you. Read these stories and, and let's do this. What You don't have to answer out loud. I want you internally. What is your impression of this story? Come on, we're not just going to gloss over this. What's your impression of this story? You read this story, and I hope that you would read this story and think to yourself, what? This is outrageous. How in the world could God ask Abraham to do this? What in the world is God doing? And I hope that you'll get a realization from that. Just so you know, God isn't always clear. He's like the creator and knows everything, and we are creatures, and in comparison to God, almost know nothing. And I know that the temptation is to make God fit into our box. That's backwards. Let the text, let the stories of the Bible mess with you. Be honest about reading the scriptures and think, what in the world does this mean? How in the world can God be good and ask this and do this? Well, 
and letting the Bible mess with you and being honest about how you feel about this and what you're thinking about this. Keep doing that. Don't let that go away too quick. But know that in the ancient world, it's not like our modern world, okay? It's a little different. We live, in, we live in the West, which is very individualistic, in which we have all these things like my truth and my story and, and what I want and good grief, you can go to places and get burger your way. Like everything is about me, everything is about I. I it's, it's whatever I want. Every, we think about ourselves, my wealth, my career. And the ancient world was very different. There's a sense of community first rather than individual. And when you read through the Bible, you, you, also have, you also have to deal with this concept of, we'll call it firsts, okay? So when, when you read through the Bible, you have these things like firsts, the first Adam and then the second Adam. So that there's a first Adam that represents all of mankind. Remember we looked at this in Romans 5 a little bit? There are really only two important people in the history of the world, Adam and Jesus. Like Adam represented every man and woman who's ever lived. And Jesus by faith represents all those who were in him. So whatever Adam did, we are accountable for. We actually act as if we did what Adam did. Firsts, there's this idea of representation in the Bible. Maybe you've heard of the concept of firstborn. In the Bible, the firstborn was really important and really special. Because if you, didn't, if you had a ton of kids, it was really hard in an agrarian society to get land and, and farm it and, and, and mine it for all that it's worth. And if you had 10 kids, you had to divide that up in the tents. That would hurt the family generation after generation. So the firstborn would get the greatest blessing and the firstborn was responsible to take all of the family's assets and distribute them amongst the other siblings fairly and, and judiciously to keep the family together because the firstborn was thought to be of great significance in the family. Maybe you remember this first. First fruits. You wonder why in the world do we need to give? Because everything that you have comes from God. And tithing to God is, is when you're honoring this idea of firsts. You're taking the first 10% of what God has blessed you with and you're giving it to God as a declaration that, oh yeah, he owns all of it. But he, he only asks that you give 10%. That's the, that's the floor. That, that's where you start. Because it's a declaration that God owns every part of me. He owns every resource that I have. He owns my entire family. And there are representatives on my behalf that I get credit for when I've done nothing. And I have to accept the fact that I'm responsible. Even if I wasn't physically present, God still says that they did something for me on my behalf. So you see, let's go back further just to try to make sense and then we'll bring it back around. God created you and me. He, he created us to love him and love each other and love the world. He created us with purpose and meaning. 
He created us to worship. He created us to be creative. He created us to use everything that he has put in the world to advance his glory in the world. But we rebelled. We just confessed it a little bit ago. We rebelled against him. And in our rebellion, it was like we spit in God's face. And that means is that when God tells us how to live and who we are, our rebellion says, I don't like what you say, God. I'm going to do what I want. And I'm going to make my own way. And if you do what I want, God, to give me the results I want, then I think I like you. Because I don't mind using you to get what I want, God. So maybe you're the best way of controlling my life. You ever fall into that trap of thinking of God in that way? What are the principles God says to live by? Because here's the outcome, and if I just do what he says, I get the outcome I want. Danger. Danger. Our rebellion against God means that not only do we want our own way, but we want to use God to get what we want. And you see, because we rebelled against God, there's a demand for justice. We have offended a holy God. We have offended a just God, and God demands justice. So when I say let the Bible mess with you, and you have to think about how this passage makes you wrestle with things, which I hope it will, I want you to understand the truth of this story is that it's not so much that God asked, made a cold-blooded request. Abraham knew that. If God was making a cold-blooded request, Abraham could have just snuffed Isaac out in any old random way. It was specific. God wanted justice for Abraham's sins. God wanted justice because he owns everything and we are responsible to God. The tension in this passage is the tension between the justice of God and his promises of grace. The tension of this passage is that God is perfectly just, but how in the world can he be just and gracious at the same time, especially when Isaac was the child of promise? Unbelievable tension here. Unbelievable tension between justice and grace. And Abraham knew that God was just. We looked at that last time, a couple weeks ago. And he knew God was gracious because he had no hope for getting a son unless God did something miraculous so you could feel the tension in Abraham. Yes, Lord, I'll, I'll go. I'll go to the mountain. You show me where to go. I'll do it. And what is happening? <laughs> what are we going to do, God? What am I going to do? So let the Bible mess with you. Let it mess with you. Let it wreck your world. If you are a person who loves justice, let this sink deeply into your soul about how committed God is to justice and giving people what is their rights. Because he is. Not just exacting punishment, that's only a small piece. But doing what's right. And if you are someone who loves grace, love it more. But realize that justice and grace are connected. So important. Second takeaway. 
get outside yourself. This passage is summoning us. If you, if you like action items, I guess you could think of them this way. Let the Bible, action item number one, let the Bible mess with you. Action item number two, get outside of yourself. This whole story is about us getting outside of ourselves. Let me tell you what I mean. In order for us to get outside of ourselves, it's really hard. I want you to know this. It's really hard. It's so hard that none of us really get outside of ourselves unless and until we are put to the test. Look at verse 1. What does God tell Abraham? I'll read it for you. After these things, God, what? Tested Abraham. Remember that testing is when something from the outside puts all kinds of pressure on you to the point that you are cracked open. That's what James talks about with testing in James 1. Testing is when there's pressure from the outside and it cracks you open. And you, when you go through testing, the way God talks about testing, you are cracked open. Another way to say that is this. You are at the end of yourself. And there is nothing that you can do. That means, yes, I'm asking you to do some deep reflection on your life. Because there are a lot of tests that you have gone through that have only led to you ramping up your desire to control. There are many tests that you have been through. And rather than you being cracked open and come to the end of yourself, you have dug deeper into controlling. And you have dug deeper into, what do I want to say? Not giving up and just enduring and outlasting the test. And if this is you, it doesn't matter if you're 15 or 55 or 75, if you have only responded to tests by wanting to have more control and just enduring it greater and white knuckling your way through, you have not been cracked open yet. And you have not grown as much as you think that you have. You have just become far more self-reliant You have just become far more fixated on I can get over this problem by controlling X, Y, or Z. And you've done everything in your power and anything that it took, crushing other people, making other decisions, so that you would not actually crack open yourself. You just became more self-reliant. And there's no way that you'll ever get outside of yourself until you are cracked open and you know that you have no possibility of resolving this issue in and of yourself. 
This has been a really hard lesson for me over this past year plus. God has cracked me open. I have endured something and I'm enduring something that I cannot control. I have no hope of doing anything for where I am physically and mentally. Do you get it? But I certainly have the option of trying to take more control. I certainly have the option of turning my faith into some type of work to where if I do these things and I'll get this result. Do you think Abraham was cracked open with this request from God? Do you think that Abraham had any way whatsoever to control this? Did Abraham have any options out there? This broke him. There was absolutely nothing that he could do but be cracked open and to wait and to bow down and to just keep going. Not knowing what was going to happen. Which leads me to this. To get outside of yourself, it requires testing. And Abraham was being tested here in a way that was out of his control and made him feel that and know that beyond a shadow of a doubt. So what was it that gave Abraham strength to go up Mount Moriah? What was it? Well, we have these little words. I believe they are in verse five. This is what Abraham said. Isaac said, God, said Dad, what, what, what are we, we going to do here, Dad? What gave Abram strength was found in these words, God will provide. You know what Abraham is saying there to his son? Son, I got no idea. Son, I don't know. Son, this is beyond me. I'm out of this one. I got nothing for you. Other than the most important thing I got for you, Isaac. God will provide. Matter of fact, if you want to read Hebrews 11, you find these words. That Abraham considered that God was even able to raise Isaac from the dead. What was going on in Abraham's mind when he was going up the mount? He was rationalizing and reasoning in his mind. He was considering what God has asked him to do, what he is doing, and who God is. And what he was reasoning in his mind is, God is able to raise my son from the dead. Abraham knew that because he was as good as dead before he had a son. If God can give me a son when I'm 100 years old, this ain't nothing for him. If God could cause me and Sarah to have a child, God has the power to raise him from the dead. 
all that he had to get outside of himself meant that he had to throw himself, throw all of his rationality, all of his reasoning, everything that he was going through on God and leave it. Isn't it remarkable to you that Abraham tells the servants, hey, we are going up to worship and we will be back. How about that? Because he knew that God could raise the dead. Get outside of yourself. You see, faith is marrying invisible with the visible. Faith is taking what you see visibly and bringing what is invisibly true to you into that visible situation. What does that look like in your life? This is what faith looks like in practice. It means that faith is not imposing your will on God. Faith is not imposing your will on other people. Faith is not imposing your will on the world to organize everything and everyone according to what you want. And if you have ever been taught that that's what discipleship is, is imposing your will on someone else, I'm sorry. If you've ever been taught that if you just had strong enough faith, then this person may not have died, I'm sorry. If you have ever been taught that the way to increase your faith is actually a way that you need to know the steps to get more control to organize other people, God, or the world, I'm sorry. That is not the faith that the Bible talks about. Faith is learning to embrace what you have been given. And that is not easy for me to say. Faith is learning to embrace what you have been given. Faith is not getting and keeping. Faith is living a life of receiving. Faith is not chasing something. Whatever that is, your career, your reputation, uh, wh whatever uh, financial benchmarks you have, or, or, or uh, job titles, or uh, a particular relational status, or faith is not chasing. Faith is learning to remember and live as if you are being pursued. And I know that our Western individualism has wrecked all that. Because it's made us want to think, you know what, faith is just me controlling things. It's not. Faith is learning to give up control. Realize it's just an illusion. You see, faith is letting go, leaving behind, traveling light, 
Plug your life into that. Plug what you know of Abraham's into that. Faith is not clutching tightly to where you live because God may move you. Faith is letting go to your sin and your rebellion and what God says about that through Jesus. It's learning to let go of those things and not beat yourself up over them. It's learning to let go. Faith is learning to travel light. My hunch is that Abraham, if he had a calendar, he didn't have a day marked on the calendar where he was like, God will ask me to sacrifice my son. Faith is learning to let go, leave behind, and travel light. Faith is not clinging to something that you hope that Faith is not clinging to something that you think might happen, whether good or bad, because of your past. Faith is letting go. It's letting go of trying to control results. You see, in Genesis 12, when God came to Abraham and said, Abraham, go to this land, what he was asking Abraham was this. Abraham, I want you to let go and leave behind your past and your present. Follow me. And in Genesis 22, God is telling Abraham, Abraham, let go of your future. That leads us to the third takeaway, or action item number three. Put God in the center. Let the Bible mess with you. Get outside of yourself. Think back through your your schedule. Think about this coming week. Think about all the interactions that you are gonna have this week, and when you're in them, think about whether or not you need to let go or leave something behind. Travel light. Think about whether you're thinking of all those encounters you're going to have is what you're going to get and keep, or there's something you got to give or receive. Bring this into your life. And the last one, got to bring into your life too. Put God in the center. Put Him in the center of everything that you do. Where do we see that in the text? Let's start here. Did you notice at the end of the verses we read, what's the name of the place? Look at Abraham. Was that the name of the place? How about, how about Abraham passed the test? Is that the name of the place? Abraham did it. Is that the test? Is, is that the name of the place? What's the name of the place? The Lord will provide. In other words, God did it. This is not a story about how you're supposed to be like Abraham. You are. You're trying to get control over the place and God is the one who's saying, I'm the one who's the center, not you. I'm the one who provides, not you. I'm the one that does everything, not you. You know how else we see it here? When God 
was asking Abraham to leave his home and give God his past and his present. And when God here in Genesis 22 is asking Abraham to offer his son, he wasn't just saying to him, Abraham, give me your future. He was telling him the same thing that he tells us. Abraham, your hope is not in your son, but in mine. Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it, and he was glad. And that is what brings us to the table.